If you're enjoying Send Me to Sleep, make sure that you've followed the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast player you use. Also, if you have a moment, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All of this really helps the show reach new listeners. And you never know, your review may convince someone to listen and lead them to a good night's rest, which I hope you all agree is worth sharing. Thanks so much for your listenership and support. Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here to help calm your mind and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading the final four chapters of The Shadow Witch by Gertrude Crownfield. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 13 With the perils of the cave of darkness left behind, with curling smoke vanquished and driven far off, the Shadow Witch was happy, and in her presence Prince Ember gave no thought for the moment to any further danger that might beset them. Danger was not far distant. In the spot that he had chosen, the Ash Goblin worked fast and diligently upon the snare with which he meant to entrap Prince Ember, hoping that he might be able to complete it before the prince arrived. He could plainly see the elf's house from where he laboured. He believed the prince to be still within its walls, and he was sure that none as yet had crossed its threshold. With his twisted hands, he took from the long bag hidden beneath his cloak the evil ash, of which alone his snare could be made, and sifted it carefully over the ground. Meanwhile, he repeated the words of enchantment written in his book of craft which he believed would make certain the capture of Prince Ember. But he took good care to repeat them silently, lest any, coming upon him unawares, should overhear them and learn his secret. As the ash fell to the ground from his fingers, it spread and ran together 
to form a thin and web-like film, leaving no spot uncovered. So treacherous was this snare, that if one but stepped upon its borders, he would become unable to release his feet from it, and would be drawn helplessly to its centre. There the web would rise upon him from all sides with lightning swiftness to enmesh him and draw him down till he was fast bound in its folds, and there he must perish in his vain efforts to escape. This was the trap that the ash goblin was cunningly and silently preparing for Prince Ember, keeping watch in the meanwhile for him to approach. He kept himself close to the ground, concealed by the ashes around him, so like they were in colour to his dingy robe, and the cap that covered his matted, grizzled hair. Occasionally he chuckled to himself at the thought of the discomfiture which lay in store for curling smoke, the boastful giant, whom he believed to be lying in wait for the prince near to the wizard's cave. Such confidence had the ash goblin in his snare that never for an instant did he believe that the prince could escape it and come within reach of the giant's arms. While he worked and exulted thus, he did not forget that in conquering Prince Ember he would pay off also his old grudge against the shadow witch for her mockery of him. The shadow witch, coming across the plain of ash with the prince, safe sheltered by the cloak of the good elf, had been sure that they were now safe from peril, when on a sudden it seemed as if a warning hand were laid upon her. She stopped and looked around her, but saw nothing. Then, with piercing eyes, she scanned the plain in front. At first considerable distance from her, bent over the ash, she espied a figure well known to her, the ash goblin, intent upon some task. She suspected danger and caught at the prince's mantle, exclaiming beneath her breath, The ash goblin, see how stealthily he creeps along. Never does he venture so far from home unless he has evil plans afoot. Prince Ember had forgotten the ash goblin, 
had forgotten the words of the elf of the borderland, but now they returned to him. Beware of the ash goblin. He is small of stature, but he cannot safely be despised, for he is very cunning. He followed the pointing finger of the shadow witch that he might behold this new enemy, but he strained his eyes in vain. I see nothing but the grey plain that lies between us and the elf's dwelling, he replied. She laid her hand slightly upon his eyes for a moment, and by the magic of her touch made his vision more keen. Look now, she urged, withdrawing her hand and you will see. Prince Ember obeyed, and immediately he, too, beheld the ugly form of the ash goblin bending over his snare. Yes, there he is, he said, and I remember now how earnestly the elf of the borderland bade me be on my guard against his cunning. Ah, my prince, the shadow witch responded, though he knows the weakness of his body too well to dare to attack an enemy in fair and open fight. He is powerful in such craft as he can carry out in secret. Whether or not he is preparing a trap for us, I cannot tell. One thing is certain, we cannot choose but pass over the place where he is at work. Whatever may lie in wait for us there, my dear Shadow Witch, Prince Ember assured her, we will meet it unafraid. They went directly towards their foe. Nowhere did they see anything that spoke of danger, until they were but a stone's throw away from where the ash goblin knelt. There they stood still to scan his work, and beheld a delicate mesh, so thin and fine that it was well nigh invisible, stretching away to right and left of him and in front of him. The shadow witch, seeing, shrank back aghast. It is the cunning web of the ash goblin, she breathed. No one escapes destruction who sets foot within its bounds. Before the prince could answer, the ash goblin rose. He had put the final touch to his work. The last handful of his ash had been strewn. The last word of his spell 
had been pronounced, and weary with long bending over his work, he drew himself up slowly. A goodly snare, a goodly snare, they heard him mutter to himself. Never yet has it failed me, no, nor ever shall, so long as I hold the secret of my evil ash. So long as I remember the words of my ancient spell. He gloated over it for a moment in silence, and then continued. To this snare the feet of Prince Ember must come, when he treads so much as its border he is lost, and when he is lost the impudent shadow witch in her dungeon may await her brother's pleasure for her deliverance. Let her learn in good time that it is the ash goblin the ash goblin whom she has so often mocked, who has helped to keep her there. He wagged his head exultantly and sank down again to conceal himself in ashes, and there await unseen the coming of the prince. The shadow which heard his words and her cheek grew pale as ivory. She pressed her hands close together and looked into Prince Ember's face, her eyes full of pain. Alas, my prince, she whispered, it grieves me that you should encounter so many perils for my sake. And here, ah, Here I am afraid that all your wondrous fairy power cannot suffice to break this wicked snare that has been set for you. Prince Ember smiled. Grieve not so, my shadow witch, he consoled her. There is no danger that I would not meet gladly for your sake. Think not that I cannot here match magic with magic and conquer, for there is no evil enchantment but must yield before the power of the good fairies of the fire. With quiet confidence he left the shelter of the cloak of ash and in his hand was his fairy sword. It shone with a red glory. The ash goblin, crouching upon the ground, keeping his eyes fixed upon the elf's threshold, had heard no syllable that had been spoken, nor knew that anyone was near. But now his staring eyes suddenly beheld the place about him suffused with scarlet light. 
he leapt to his feet, turning in swift amaze to learn from whence it came, and saw Prince Ember standing, with sword extended like a bar of fire across his snare. From it streamed that heat, potent and overmastering, wherein its magic dwelt. Let the snare of the ash goblin perish before the power of the sword of fire, exclaimed the prince, and as he uttered the words, the ash goblin saw the web that he had been at such pains to prepare begin to shrivel and shrink away, and presently it had vanished completely from the surface of the plain. A frenzied shriek burst from the ash goblin at the sight of his work, destroyed before his very eyes, and by the one for whom the snare had been laid. Coward though he was, he would have rushed upon the prince to attack him with all his puny strength, had not the heat which streamed from the sword of fire made his limbs powerless to stir from the spot where he lay, had not the glow which surrounded him become so intense that he was forced to bury his head in his cloak lest his eyes should be blinded by it. Crouching there, wrapped to the very crown of his head in his dingy cloak, he heard again the voice of Prince Ember. Depart quickly, commanded the prince, lest you be consumed in like manner as your evil snare. Then the ash goblin rose and fled away in terror from the place where he had hoped to triumph, fled on and on until he came to the threshold of his own hut. In desperate haste he undid the door and rushing in, closed and barred it fast to shut out the spell of the conquering sword. Chapter 14 While Prince Ember had passed from place to place, everywhere meeting and conquering the perils that beset him and his companion, the wind in the chimney had not been unmindful of his promise to Black Shadow. On the contrary, he was only too willing to help the wizard. As soon as the wizard's messenger had departed from him, he dispatched a half-dozen of his keenest and most agile breezes to the chimney-mouth to spy upon the elf's house from thence, 
and bring him word at once the moment the prince was seen to cross this threshold. During the time, therefore, that the imps had been keeping guard at the entrance to the wizard's cavern, the breezes, on their part, had been industriously looking across the plain from the chimney mouth, but with no better fortune in the one case than in the other. Once, it is true, they, like the ash goblin, had despised the elf's door open slowly and remained so for a moment, and they had waited eagerly for the prince to come forth, but no one had appeared, and presently the door had closed again and had remained fast shut ever since. The wind, sitting on his rough seat in the chimney, began to chafe at the delay. He did not overlook the fact that the breezes were merry fellows, and that, though they took no liberties while they were under his eye, and talked only in whispers among themselves when they perched in the chimney nooks, they had only to be out of his sight to begin to whisk gaily about and dance and sing in the liveliest possible manner so as to enjoy their freedom to the utmost. He began to believe that even on this occasion, in spite of the strictness of his commands, they were amusing themselves after their usual fashion, and, becoming more and more careless and inattentive to their duty, had allowed Prince Ember to go on his way unobserved. Leaning forward in his seat, he called down to them gruffly, demanding to know whether any sign had yet been seen of the stranger prince. When he received their answer, he was more than ever convinced of their negligence, and gave orders that one of their number should go out and scour the plain, to discover whether the prince was anywhere about but the one who had been sent returned to say that there was nothing to be seen but the yellow fog of curling smoke. The wind shrugged his great shoulders contemptuously. The affairs of curling smoke do not interest me, he declared. For a little longer, he waited and then began to stir about impatiently upon his chimney seat. Go out and search the plain more carefully than was done by your fellow, he shouted to another of the breezes. 
It is quite impossible that the prince should still be in the elf's house. Swift to obey his master, the second breeze went forth, yet came back in a little while, declaring he had seen no one but the ash goblin bending over the ground as though intent upon some task. Bah! exclaimed the wind. Why do you come to me with such news as that? What difference can it make to me what such a wretched creature as the ash goblin is doing? Let him amuse himself with his trifles as he pleases. Thus rebuffed, his servant retreated shamefacedly to his post, and again the wind waited. Such a great length of time had passed since they had taken up their visual at the chimney mouth, that the breezes themselves were beginning to be uneasy, and to suspect that by means of some enchantment the prince had actually escaped them. Then they bethought them of the moment when the elf's door had been seen to open and shut without anyone coming out of it, and they were troubled and wondered whether they should, perhaps, have made the matter known to their master at the time. Finally, one of their number, bolder than the rest, summoned up his courage and went and told the wind of it. What? shrieked the wind, rising in a tempest of rage. Can it be that you saw anything so important as this and brought me no word of it? Magic has been at work. This prince has without doubt escaped me. Even at this instant he may be upon the plain under the very eyes of my watchers. Hurling the messenger from him, the wind rushed down the chimney mouth. He buffeted to the right and left the breezes who stood there, and whirled out upon the plain to see for himself whether or not what he suspected was true. It so happened that Prince Ember and the Shadow Witch were crossing the plain directly in front of the chimney mouth at that instant. Then what the elf of the borderland had feared immediately came true. The keen eyes of the wind perceived the spell of the weaver elf. His rough blasts shattered it, snatching the fairy cloak from the shoulders of the travellers. He beat it quickly back into the loose ash of which 
it had been woven, and drove them off and away into the wide spaces of the borderland, there to settle down at last wherever they would. Thus were the prince and the shadow witch revealed to the gaze of their most powerful enemy. The prince needed none to tell him who this new foe was, nor did he quail at the sight of him, though he knew that he might well fear for his companion and himself. Quickly he thrust the shadow witch behind him, and with his sword of fire in his hand, awaited his coming. With a loud howl, the wind was upon them. Against this terrific onset, the prince held firm, and as the wind dashed himself upon the sword, thinking to wrest that from him, also it leapt to life, a broad and beauteous sheet of scarlet flame that rose in an ascending barrier, high and yet higher, at every buffet that it sustained. The more the wind flung himself upon it in fury, the greater it waxed in power and brilliance, the stronger the heat that flowed from it in mighty waves. Cowed by it, the wind retreated for a moment, but seeing that the flame waved when he did so, he took fresh courage and raged against it once more. Yet quite in vain. Wielding his sword with steady hand, protected by its wall of leaping fire, its rampart of glowing heat, the prince met him at every turn, dauntless and unharmed. Still farther back stood the shadow witch, her tall form swaying in blasts of the wind. At his advance, her black hair streamed behind her like a cloud, her grey garments and long grey sleeves illuminated by the red glory of the sword billowed round her like floating banners. Through the fierceness of the fight in her voice was heard cheering the prince sweetly that his courage might not fail. So the battle raged on the one side with unveiling fury, wild shouts, insolent boasting, and slowly wasting strength, on the other hand with steadfast courage, quietness, and undimmed confidence. For long the wind could not believe it possible that he would be vanquished. But gradually, 
he was convinced that the foe whom he had despised was invincible. Humiliated and sullen, he determined to give up the losing fight. With one last shriek of rage and discomfiture that rang out to the farthest confines of the plain and echoed across the borderland, he fled back in haste to the chimney and hurled himself into its depths. Prince Ember put up his sword, the shadow which stole to his side to thank him for this new deliverance, but her exceeding gratitude made her dumb. She could only lay her hands in his and look into his beloved face in silence. Knowing what was in her heart, Prince Ember bent to her. Dear Lady of the Shadows, he said, to serve you is my highest joy, and now there is no other enemy left for us to dread. I have but led you home. Chapter 15 With what happiness Prince Ember and the Shadow Witch resumed their journey, all the way before they seemed a way of brightness, though it led across a plain as grey and desolate as it had been before, but they knew that no perils lay in wait for them, and that every step led them safely on. While the Shadow Witch talked gaily with the Prince, she turned to him a face as radiant as though a light shone from it within. Ever and again, her laughter rang out low and clear, not the echoing, mocking laughter known so well to the evil fairies of the land, but a laugh of rich music, as if sweet in sound, all gentle whisperings of the fire were caught up and gathered into it. The prince listened to it with keen delight. Of all the notes of gladness that he had ever heard, it was to him the loveliest, and she herself gliding tall and beautiful beside him, could never tire of gazing upon. They came at last to the land of shadows. Its pale trees and gardens lay before them, and in the distance they saw the palace of shadows, lifting its grey towers against the sky. They had spoken less and less frequently as they drew near it, and the laughter of the shadow witch had ceased, for her heart had grown heavy, and her mind was filled with troubled thoughts. As soon as Prince Ember would leave her to return to his own home, 
in that fair land which she so much longed to behold. He had left it to come to her deliverance, and at first sight of him she had known that her heart's love could never be given to anyone but him. That he loved her in return, she did not doubt. His eyes had said it, the tones of his voice had revealed it a hundred times. Had he not called her more than once his dear shadow witch, and given himself to danger for her sake again and again? Yet he said no word of taking her home with him, of making her his bride, and so her eyes were sad, and her heart was full of pain at the thought of the parting which was now so near at hand. She did not dare to speak, lest her grief should break forth uncontrolled. Who was she, she told herself, the mischievous shadow witch, a creature of grey magic, to be the bride of such a one as this bright, this glorious prince, whose magic was all noble, whose land was all joy and brightness. In her mind she had no picture of that land. She had seen only Prince Radiance and his white flame, and this Prince Ember, yet she could guess from these, its bright inhabitants, how marvellous the land of fire must be. She bowed her head humbly as she thought of it. Its greatest glory, its noblest prince, could never be for her, but she was determined that when he had gone from her, she would forsake her own home, and would seek the confines, at least, of the land of fire, and there live in a little of its brightness, there learn what she could of its good magic. This much she must do, for her old life, her old ways, were now more than ever intolerable to her. Prince Ember, seeing her silence, guessed nothing of her thoughts. To him she was most dear and beautiful, the only one whom he could ever wish to win. They had reached the foot of her garden, and the prince stood still. The shadow witch paused also, and waited in silence. Prince Ember took her hand and kissed it. Lady of the Shadows, he said, we have come at last to your domain in safety. The shadow witch caught her breath painfully, for she felt that the moment of farewell had come. It was as if she could not bear it. The prince drew yet nearer. Dear shadow witch, he whispered, I cannot leave you. 
so do I love you. Yet I cannot stay with you here in this grey land. Go with me then to my own bright country. Go with me there to be my bride and princess. No answering words rose to the lips of the shadow witch. Her face was turned away, her eyes hidden. But a moment since she had been silent because of overmastering sadness. Now, for very joy, she was dumb. In her humility, she stared not grasp at once at the happiness held out to her. The prince leaned to her in fear, lest he should have been mistaken, lest perhaps she did not love him as he had hoped and believed. Speak, he besought her. Ah, speak, my dearest. How can I go without you? How can I leave you in this land, a land too sad and grey for such? a one as you. All the brightness of my own country is without meaning for me henceforth, if I have not you to share it with me as my heart's true love. Wooed thus, the shadow witch hesitated no longer. She turned to him in a flood of loving and longing. She stretched her hands to him, trembling with the fullness of her joy, and her voice came again. Prince of my heart, she murmured softly, my most dear and glorious prince, where could my home be ever if not with you? Prince Ember caught her to his heart and silence fell once more between them. For a little while, they tarried in the borders of the garden, clinging to each other in their first great joy, and the dim alleys and dusky trees took on a brightness till now unknown to them from these two figures radiant with a pure and innocent love. At last the shadow witch remembered all that she must leave behind. Listen, she said, and her voice was very gentle. I have been long gone, and my servants still await for their mistress. They love me and are faithful. They will mourn for me when I have left them. Creeping shadow, most of all. I must bid them farewell and tell them why it is that I departed from them to return no more. So they left the confines of the garden and turned their steps towards the palace of shadows. They had not yet reached it when its mistress saw a pale figure approaching through the tall shrubs that lined their way. It was creeping shadow, stealing sadly along the paths once dear to her mistress, thinking of Prince Ember 
who had promised succour, a promise which she had begun to fear had not been able to keep. Alas, what hope could there be after all, she thought, that this prince should be able, single-handed, to meet and conquer such powerful enemies as the wizard and his many evil friends. She shook her head doubtfully, yet even as she did so, she lifted her eyes to look once more along the familiar path by which she had hoped her mistress might return. See, exclaimed the shadow witch to her lover, she comes, my good and faithful servant, still seeking, still hoping. At that moment, Creeping Shadow saw her and gave a loud cry that rang through the spaces and reached even the palace halls. She rushed to throw herself at the feet of her mistress to clasp her knees in an ecstasy of thankfulness and rejoicing. Mistress, dear mistress, she exclaimed, at last, at last you are here. And now from the palace doors and from everywhere, the shadows came gliding swiftly, to burst into exclamations of joy when they saw, in their turn, who it was that had come. Among them came the traitor, Black Shadow, hastening to learn whether what she had believed to be impossible had, in spite of her treachery, been brought to pass. She saw Prince Ember and her mistress surrounded by the welcoming shadows, saw that her plots had been in vain. She would have turned at once to flee to the wizard, to make known to him what had happened, had she not been arrested by the voice of her mistress, speaking strange words, words such as she had never thought to hear. I have come to show you that I am set free, said the Shadow Witch, have come also to bid you, my loyal servants, farewell. A murmur of astonishment went up from the listening shadows. What could such words mean? The shadow witch continued. I have found light and joy and true happiness by the side of this good prince, and I can no longer pass my days in this grey land of mine with its grey magic. She would have spoken further, but a burst of sorrow interrupted her. With one accord, her servants swayed mournfully, and with sobs and cries, cast themselves at her feet. She looked upon them with love and compassion. What could she do for them, these faithful friends and servants, whom she must leave? if she followed her dear prince. Go, she must, 
but what could she say to comfort them? A thrill of pain went through her heart, tempering her exceeding joy in her new-found happiness. Prince Ember came to her help. The light and gladness of the land of fire is forbidden to none who are true and faithful, he proclaimed. Let all then, who love their mistress, follow her to her new home, if it is their wish. At these words, so comfort-bringing, the shadow witch turned upon her prince a glance of tenderness and gratitude. The shadows, hearing them, were lifted at once from deep grief to boundless rejoicing. They rose to their feet, their grey robes all aflutter. Ah, generous prince, they cried, we follow, follow, happy indeed to hear her faithful servant still. All but black shadow, she alone had given no cry of grief, she alone had shown no sign of joy. She had prostrated herself with the rest at the feet of the shadow witch, and had bowed her head, but merely to conceal the anger which she felt at the sight of her mistress safe returned. No sound passed her lips now. She was glad to hear of the coming departure, but that gladness also she would restrain. Until her mistress had gone, she would keep her own counsel, hide her own purposes, so that she might fulfil them in her own time and in her own way. She had not long to wait, for Prince Ember's voice, clear and gracious, rose once more. Let us not tarry. My bright kingdom awaits its prince, who has been long absence. Its good fairies will rejoice to welcome not him alone, but his bride and her devoted followers. So saying, he took the hand of the shadow witch, and together they left the garden of shadows, and set out for the land of fire. Behind them trooped the shadows, eager to behold for themselves that beauteous fairyland which was henceforth to be their home. But Black Shadow was not among them. As soon as Prince Ember had ceased to speak, she had slipped quietly away. The Shadow Witch had noticed her absence presently turning to see what had become of her, saw a dark figure hurrying towards the wizard's cave. It was Black Shadow. A smile of understanding dawned upon the face of the Shadow Witch. She said no word, but she guessed the treacherous part that her servant had already played. And what she now meant to do let her go her way, she thought, 
she can harm us no more. Meanwhile, Prince Ember was thinking of his great debt to the elf. It was in his mind to stop at his dwelling as they passed through the borderland, and thank him for the service which the Cloak of Ash had rendered. But he had no deed, for the elf, espying the travellers from afar, came to meet them. He gave them warm greeting, and listened intently while Prince Ember told him all that had befallen them, and whither they now were bound. Alas for your marvellous cloak, the prince said regretfully in closing. When the wind tore it from me, he resolved it to ashes, and scattered it far and wide. The elf smiled. That does not surprise me. You know that I told you something of what might come to pass. Forget not, however, that the secret of its weaving still dwells with the elves of the borderland, who will never refuse to provide another if need arises. He stretched his pudgy hand to the shadow witch, who caught it gratefully in both her own. Ah, good and kind friend, she cried, what do I owe to your faithful friendship? As to that, responded the elf heartily, looking into her lovely face, I am already well rewarded by seeing your restored to liberty, and in knowing of the happiness which it is to be yours. Then their farewells were spoken, and the elf stood watching them till they vanished from his sight. In the meantime, Black Shadow had reached the Cave of Darkness, and there she found the imps still at the entrance. They had awakened and were now rubbing their eyes confusedly and whispering to each other their fears concerning what might have happened while they slept. Little need have you now to guard this cave mouth, Black Shadow flung at them as she passed. The prince, whose entrance it was your duty to prevent, has long since come and gone, taking with him the Shadow Witch. She did not stay to reply to their frightened and excited questions, but sped straight to the cave hall. There she found the wizard sitting upright in his chair, though he looked pale and exhausted. He was surrounded by the imps who had been imprisoned in the vaulted chamber, and who, when the shadow witch had reached her own land, and the spell of the sword of fire had been lifted, had heard their master's voice calling to them for help. They had come in trembling haste, and found him limp and prostrate on the floor, but with their help he had at least been enabled to rise slowly and go to his accustomed seat. Sir Wizard, cried Black Shadow, 
addressing him without ceremony. The stranger prince has everywhere prevailed. Curling smoke is scattered. The ash goblin is defeated. The wind in the chimney has been put to naught. And now Prince Ember has departed to the land of fire, taking with him your sister to make her his bride. With her went all her servants, the shadows. Let them go, snarled the wizard, scowling fiercely upon her. I care not what becomes of them, so that they return no more to trouble me. And I, continued Black Shadow, have come to say that I mean to take your sister's domain for myself and choose companions to occupy it with me who will obey my commands. Do what you will, he retorted impatiently, so that you, too, go from me and leave me in peace. Black Shadow needed no second bidding, but left the wizard there, with his imps clustered about him, while she departed in haste to carry out her long-cherished plans. Chapter 16 In King Red's Flame's garden, it was brilliant noonday. The trees waved their branches to a cloudless sky. The flowers lifted their beauteous heads in a clear and golden light. Through the blossoming shrubs, the towers and walls of the palace of burning coals glistened in fullest splendour. Prince Ember and the Shadow Witch approaching beheld them shining as if in welcome. The band of shadows caught their breath in wonder at the glorious sight. Within the palace, sat King Redflame on his jeweled throne, listening to his daughter, the princess, as she sang the song he loved. Prince Radiance, close beside her, listened also. He could never tire of that exquisite voice, which, from the first hour that he had heard it, had enchanted his ear, and enchanted his heart. The fire fairies, busy in palace and garden, paused now and then to catch the floating strains, for their princess was unspeakably dear to them, and her singing stirred them always to deep delight. Rushing Flame, the king's messenger, poised alert at the palace gate, ready to spring forth on any errand for his master, strained his ear that he, too, might miss no note of her song. Suddenly, from below the palace windows, the sound of many feet was heard 
and the air was rent by shouts of welcome. The princess broke off her song. With one accord, the royal company started to their feet. Certain that naught but the return of Prince Ember could cause so great a tumult. At that very instant, the scarlet figure of rushing flame appeared before them, proclaiming, Your Majesty the King, Prince Ember has returned. While he was yet speaking, Prince Ember and the Shadow Witch entered the palace hall. Close after them glided the band of shadows, and accompanying them came the wise one, kind old grey smoke, and a multitude of fire fairies, who had come quickly together from everywhere, eager to have a part in greeting the unknown guests, and to hear the adventures of brave young prince. With a lover's pride, Prince Ember led his beloved to the king. Never had the shadow witch looked more beautiful. Her ebon hair fell like a rich cloak over her grey robes. Her cheek was mantled by a crimson flush. Her dark eyes gleamed with a soft radiance. King Redflame won by the first glimpse of this lovely stranger, forgot his state and went to meet her without waiting for his nephew to make her known. He drew her to himself in cordial greeting. Welcome, fair princess of the shadows, he said, and welcome also to your train. Then to his nephew he turned in deep perfection. Welcome, dear Ember, thrice welcome. Long have we waited and anxiously hoped for your safe return. Welcome, welcome, cried Prince Radiance heartily, coming to clasp hands with the prince and his companion in his turn. Right glad was he to see his good friends once more. The gentle Princess Whiteflame, thinking of what she must have endured, took the Shadow Witch to her arms and kissed her as a sister might. Then did the king demand to know the story of their adventures, and a deep hush fell over the assemblage while Prince Ember related everything, from first to last, that had befallen them. Of all who listened with deep interest and earnest sympathy, only Radiance and Princess Whiteflame, who they themselves had once journeyed in that far-off land and had met its perils, could fully understand how great the task of Prince Ember had been. The wise one, hearing how his own gifts and his advice concerning the elf of the borderland had been the means of bringing them safely through 
all the dangers that had threatened them, smiled and nodded approvingly, as was his wont. When, in conclusion, Prince Ember had made known that he had won the love of the Shadow Witch, and that she had consented to become his princess, King Redflame was greatly pleased that the prince had found so fair a mate, and gave command that the wedding should take place forthwith. In haste, then, the wedding feast was prepared. Dame Greysmoke herself saw to it that it lacked no splendour that fairy hands or fairy skill could devise. The wise one gave sage advice, and from his treasure chest brought gifts, ancient and rare. The fire fairies vied with one another in their loving task of making all things ready, and among them moved the shadows, their faces reflecting the joy of their mistress, their hearts filled with wonder and delight at the beauty and goodness of this new fairy land into which they had come to dwell. The fire fairies showed them every kindness, so that they might feel at home in a country where all things were strange to them. So, in the palace of burning coals, Prince Ember and the Shadow Witch were married, and King Redflame himself gave the bride away. When the wedding feast with its splendours was ended, the prince led his bride home to his palace of good cheer. His own fairies stood to welcome them on the high golden gate that overreached the entrance to his dominions. Three great marriage torches were set that lifted their quenchless flames upwards with pure and golden light. As Prince Ember advanced with the Shadow Witch through that bright gate, for she became transformed, and all grey forsook her trailing robes for ever, and left them robes of glory, robes of rose and amethyst, and richest scarlet in their changing hues. The garments of her attendant shadows changed also, and became a soft reflection of the fuller loveliness of her own. They came on through the shining avenue, amid the welcoming shouts of the ember fairies, and reached the palace of good cheer. From every turret flaming banners floated, from every window ruddy light beamed out. At its wide open door, Prince Ember bent and kissed his bride tenderly. Enter, dear Shadow Witch, he whispered low. Enter, and crown my life with the priceless treasure of your love. Her face alight with happiness, she passed in with him. She had come at last 
with her beloved prince to the fairy land of good magic, to the land of her heart's desire. <laughs>